And we're back. And we're back. And we're back. <laughs> back and ready to go. Ready to discuss the Word of God. Welcome to the Rooted in Logos podcast. I am Brad. I am joined as always by my two very good friends, Carter and Austin. We are so excited to be here tonight. Unfortunately, we are no longer in Austin's library. That is true. No book to call out. We have moved to my living room that is almost completely set up. I have nothing on the walls yet. We're, we're working on that. Yeah, I got a big drywall patch, white drywall <laughs> patch that needs to be uh, painted over. What is this but, blue smudge on the, the wall in front of the window? So I don't have any blinds at the moment. Uh, it's just this, this weird blue and white. So it's like a U in and a true redneck form. I uh, rubber banded a oh Kentucky Wildcats <laughs> blanket onto the window to keep people from looking in. Little privacy, you know, just to make sure people aren't trying to steal my stuff, my minion over there, actually, so people don't steal my minion. I like it. I, that's the first thing people would go for. I like how in the very center of your kitchen is just a trash can, not a table, <laughs> not a table. It's a trash can. <laughs> it's a work in progress, guys. Okay. We, we got to paint okay. the kitchen. It's a whole there's, thing. There's two. But we are so excited to uh, record <laughs> again tonight. Um, we are very excited for the week and for what we have in store for you guys we hope uh, you all have enjoyed the first four episodes the again the response has been overwhelming we are so thankful i am in a daily fight with apple to get us on apple podcast we'll see they keep sending me the same response over and over again i cannot tell you how frustrating it is but it's fine i love jesus facebook is working for us right now but apples of the devil he doesn't want us on there just nah, apparently so we're really excited about this week and the two episodes we're putting out. Uh, the first one we're going to talk today about what scripture is, how to study it, where it came from, why we believe it is the Word of God, and, and what that means, what it looks like. And then Thursday, this one is going to be a lot of fun because it hits on one of my biggest pet peeves. We're going to talk about verses that people commonly take out of context. Yeah. And I'm really excited about that. Carter actually stole one of mine. Little bitter. I think I stole two of yours. You may have stolen two of mine. Did you take it out of context? <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we're going to get into that on Thursday. That's going to be a lot of fun because I think it's going to hopefully clear up some misconceptions about some verses that may not be very clear when you just look at one verse and not the rest of it. The whole chapter. The whole chapter. Or the whole book. Or the whole book. So I'm going to start out with what the Word of God actually is. And we're going to kind of get into a couple of different, like, theories on the Word of God. Uh, first of all, you know, God speaks in many different ways. He spoke through the actual Word, Christ. He spoke through speech, audible speech. He has done that throughout Scripture. He also will personally address people. So you think of, you think of Abraham, you think of Moses, you think of these personal addresses where God appears, you think of Job. The book of Job, where Job and, and God have a dialogue and a conversation. He also will speak through human lips. So you think of the prophets. You think of sometimes our pastors today. You think of different people who speak into our lives. But then what we want to focus on this week is God's Word in written form, and that is the Bible. And Austin, if you would, take us through some of the history of, of Scripture, some of the kind of the basics, and then we're going to talk about some of the characteristics of Scripture. Yeah, Definitely. A lot of this I got from a, a really great video. Uh, these people I, I follow, both Emily and I, uh, Dale and Veronica Partridge. I don't know if you've ever heard of them or not. Does she live in a pear tree? No, no, they no, they do not. That's their sis their siblings. Okay. <laughs> I and thought it, that was a funny joke, but whatever, it's fine. It was pretty funny. It's yeah. right. So uh, Dale, Dale Partridge 
a very very godly man and his wife a very godly woman and uh he does these videos and i got a, i got a lot of this from him but didn't i fact checked it so it, it it's legit but anyway did you do the Berean method i did nice i like it okay for starters a couple of the the basics as a christian these are things that you should know right offhand so when you're looking at the bible you have the bible in your hand how many books are in the bible 340 no wrong oh two (laughs) (laughs) which are (laughs) whatever okay anyway there are (laughs) there are 66 books in the bible there are 40 different authors of those 66 books. The Bible was written in a span of 1,500 years, 15 to 1,600 years. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, all except for the book of Daniel and Ezra, which were written in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in what's known as Kona Greek. Kona, it's where we get the word for konania, which means fellowship, and Kona, which means common. So, common Greek. The New Testament was written in the common tongue. It was written for everybody of that day and age to be able to read and understand it. Later, you have the Septuagint. If you guys have ever heard of that before, the Septuagint is basically just the Old Testament, which was translated into Greek. So that, again, Kona, Greek, for the common person to be able to read it and understand it. Later, you would have what's known as the Latin Vulgate. So, it's the Old and New Testament translated into Latin, and that was the main translation used by the Catholic Church for many centuries. So, real quick, we're going to look at 400 AD to 1300 AD. Everything was copied by hand. Literally, in order to get a different copy of each book, you had to have this guy sit down, meticulously write out every word, word for word translation. Everything was copied by hand. So, to have a complete Bible would have been extremely rare and extremely, extremely expensive. Later, the Roman Catholic Church in 1350 only read, so up to 1350, they only read from the Latin Bible, or the Vulgate. Later, you'd have this war between the clergy, the people of the church, versus the laity, which were the common people. So, church versus the common people. The common people didn't speak Latin. Only the clergy did. So they would go and they would listen to this Latin and they have no idea what was being said. So at this point, this it's said to be the very beginning of what's known as the Reformation. From there, there was not much point in listening to the Latin Bible since they didn't speak it or understand it. So you had a name, a, a man by the name of John Whitcliffe in 1380. He could read the original Greek manuscripts and saw the separation and divide of the church between the clergy and the common people. In 1406, he began to translate it into English, and it is known as the Whitcliffe Bible. It was made illegal by the Catholic Church. Whitcliffe was charged with heresy and had death by fire. The Catholic Church later dug up his grave and burned his bones. He was that much of a front to the Catholic Church. So, did, did they not want the common people to read the Bible on their own? Yes, exactly. Because yeah. it, it's a hard concept. Because, again, previous episodes, we looked at the word Catholic, what it meant. It was the whole church, the universal church. This is where it begins to separate. 
It changes from Catholic as in the whole universal church to Catholicism. It was a way for the Catholic church to keep their power and control of the people. If you can control their speech, if you can control the language, control what people learn and what how people understand it, you control them. And again, that might be a topic for a different day. But they had the power to be able to read the Latin. They understood it. They knew what it meant. But the regular everyday people had no idea what it meant. So, so they could tell them whatever they wanted to tell whatever them. Whatever they wanted yeah. to tell them. Exactly. And have complete control. Yeah. And Ooh, that sounds like somebody that we know today. Or maybe a lot of people that we know today. A, a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe his name rhymes with ouchie. <laughs> <laughs> different topic for a different day, which we're excited to get into. Yeah. Anyway. Ouchie. <laughs> wah, wah. <clears throat> <laughs> but no, yeah, but the yeah, same yeah. concept is is if they control the information, if they control what you hear and how you hear it, they then can control the religion. They can control what you believe. Exactly. And they can change it to whatever they want to believe. Yeah, definitely. Like a and cult. Like a cult. Like a cult. This Ooh. is unrelated, but like I don't know if all the coughs will get edited out, so sorry about that, because we're all coughing. I I'm a, I might have given it once. to everybody. I'm sorry. Yeah. My bad. No, I was using cleaning chemicals at work, and I think I, like, drank after that and somehow got it down my throat. I don't know. Wow. Might not be something you say online. That's okay. <laughs> cut it out. I'll cut it out. We'll edit it out. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Brad drinks Windex, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. That's not true. All right, so we're moving on. The split. The split between the Catholic Church and the Protestants. So, what is a Protestant? Protestant is just not Catholic. It's basically the people who walked away from the Catholic Church, again, no longer the universal church or the whole church, it's Catholicism. They walked away, they were known as Protestants, people leaving the Catholic Church, not Catholic. We move on, 1525, a man by the name of William Tyndale. He wrote the first original English New Testament from the original Hebrew and Greek manuscripts, said to have been the true fire that got the Reformation going with Martin Luther. Woo-woo. Right? So, Reformation. Catholic and Protestant break off. Protestants believe in what's known as sola scriptura, and that is Latin, by scripture alone. Catholics believe scripture, tradition, and the writings of the papacy. Or the Popency? Papacy? Papacy. Papacy, right. Uh, For those of you who don't know what that is, it's the Pope. Whatever writings he comes out with, every Pope from the beginning to now and future, whatever he writes is the Word of God, Mm. which is terrifying. Yeah, don't like that at all. Don't like that at all. At age 42, (laughs) William Tyndale was strangled and burnt at the stake by the Catholic Church for his translation Seems like an overreaction. A little bit? Yeah. But that sounds like one of the best ways to die. Not being burnt alive, but dying because you did something right. Like like giving the Bible to people. Right. Trying to remember what that word is. Martyr. Martyr. Thank you. It was right there. All right. So moving on. The year is 1535. Miles Cloverdale put the first entire Bible together with the help of Tyndale's New Testament. So, Reformation years. You've got King Henry VII. He was Catholic. 
he pushed back the Protestant movement. Moving forward, King Henry VIII. He was Protestant. He let the Protestant movement continue, and it started to flourish. Then, Bloody Mary. She was Catholic, and she was known for what? Killing Protestants. Oh, I was going to say vodka. (laughs) The drink. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't think she was known for It was a funny joke. Look. (laughs) See, people laugh. Just because you add that, it doesn't mean it's funny. It was funny. Bloody Mary is not from Russia. She does not drink vodka. So okay. It's a this different thing. No, that's what you say in the mirror three times, right? In the dark, in the bathroom. <laughs> We're getting way <laughs> off topic. Way off topic. We are so sorry. All right. Okay, bring it back. I've been moving for two days. That's my excuse. And it, it's actually pretty late. Yeah, too. it's fine. Anyway, moving on. So we hit King James. 1611, the King James Bible came out. He was a Protestant. He helped the movement progress. And... Moving on, we're going to get into different things, so I'm going I'm to I'm step back a little bit and let <laughs> Brad take on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you for that history lesson. That's awesome. I want to say that we believe that the Bible is complete. The 66 books of the Bible are the 66 books that are supposed to be there. That God also protects His Word. So therefore, He has protected the canon from, its, from the time it was put together. So... We can get into that in depth at some point, oh, the yeah. canon of scripture, but that is where I want to start, is that the book is complete. complete. Nothing can be added or taken away from it. Secondly, just four quick characteristics of the Bible. One, it is authoritative. It has authority, okay? So, just this definition, the authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words, so much so that to dis believe or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So that is the authority of scripture. Secondly, the Bible we believe is inerrant. Uh, Simply put, the Bible is without error. It does not make mistakes. It is perfect. Every word of God proves true. That's from Proverbs 30 verse 5. And that God is not man that he should lie. Or a son of man that he should change his mind. Numbers 23, 19. The inerrancy of scripture means that scripture in their original manuscripts does not affirm anything that is contrary to fact. And that is very important, by the way, to say in its original manuscripts. We'll talk about that in a minute. Thirdly, the Bible has clarity. The Bible is written in such a way that it is able to be understood, but right understanding requires time, effort, the use of ordinary means, a willingness to obey, and the help of the Holy Spirit. And our understanding will remain imperfect in this lifetime. So there are concepts, there are things about Scripture, things in there that we don't understand. First thing that comes to mind is what? Revelation. Oh, yep. That's a tough book to grapple with. That's a tough one. We may never understand that. You also have different theological ideas that you can use Scripture to back up, but they are opposing ideas. Yep. I mean, you think of a Calvinism versus Arminianism, they both use scripture to back up their points and make valid arguments, but we may never know until yeah. or this side of heaven. We may never know. Well, and that's, that's it. There are, there are certain topics besides the fact that, you know, Jesus Christ is the son of God, only begotten. There are other topics that we are not meant to know the, the answers. I mean, as strong believers in the faith, I think it's good for us to grapple with it. It's great for us to be able to discuss it, to look deeper, to question it, 
to help solidify our faith to, to grow stronger. But that's where you come into the play of it starts to divide people because we're human. We get bullheaded. We start knocking up against each other and nope, my, my belief is stronger than yours. Nope, mine's stronger than yours. And we separate and go our different ways, which is very wrong. Very wrong. And uh, something Brad and Carter and I, we got together before this and, w- and we discussed that there are going to be topics that we probably don't agree on. But as brothers in Christ, we need to be able to say, okay, let's dig deeper in it. And we, if we get to a point where we cannot come to a resolution, set it on a back burner. <clears throat> do something else, come back to it with a fresh outlook and be like, all right, let's try it again. So finally, the Bible and and scripture is necessary and sufficient. The Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining a spiritual life, and for knowing God's will. It is not necessary for knowing that God exists or for knowing something about God's character and moral laws. Mm -hmm. So the Bible is necessary for us to understand salvation for us to understand our need for salvation. It is also sufficient to do that. The Bible contains all we need for salvation, as far as information goes, right? We Obviously, we need the belief, we need the Holy Spirit to come upon us and, and show us our need for a Savior, but the Bible has all the information we need to enter into the kingdom heaven, of heaven. And, and, yeah. and enter into God's eternal life. And it's cool, because once you have gotten to that point... And again, we're, we're, we're getting deeper, but once you get to that point of salvation, you're there and you're, you're reading scripture. It, you know, you're also going to be able to learn what God wants, you know, what, what makes him happy as our heavenly father. What can you do to, again, what is our purpose? To bring glory to God. How can you bring glory to God in everything you do? So the next thing I want to talk about, um, and I think Austin, you touched on this a little bit, is the different translations, the different yes. versions of the Bible. So, I mean, let's just go through a couple of them. You got the new NIV, the KJV, the New King James, ESV, Holman Christian Standard, New American Standard, so many different, the message. NLT. NLT. New Living Translation, the message, the passion, ESV. Yeah, there's, there's so, a plethora. There's so many. And, and so, a uh, common question, a common idea. Which one do I use? Which one do I use? I struggle with this one, if I'm being honest. I end up very rigid in my beliefs as to which version is is uh, okay. And, and I don't want to necessarily call out the ones I dislike, although I probably will. But there a are <laughs> a few that I really don't like. There are a few that I'm like, eh, not great. But I get it. Like, I understand it's a little ser- it's serviceable, right? Yeah. Um, and then there are ones I really, my go-tos. I have a couple go-tos. Just to kind of give a, a brief description of the theories behind the the, the different translations. There are really two schools of thought. You have the thought-for-thought translation, and you have the word-for-word translation. Very simply put, and Austin's going to get into a little more detail, but the word-for-word translation is every word in Hebrew or Greek has an English counterpart. It doesn't... It, it, it tries to translate every single word. Your thought-for-thought takes the general idea of the passage and turns it into an English version. And so when we're looking at these different translations, one of the first things to ask yourself is, is this a word-for-word translation where the translators are attempting to have exact matching words from the original language to, to English? Or are they just trying to get the general, general idea? So yeah, looking at translations. Translation used to be about access, right? Looking back at, you know, William Tyndale and all those guys, 
They were just trying to get the word out to people who could actually read it. It was about access. Who could get a handle of it just to read, to know what God's word said. And now it's all about relatability and comfort. What's easiest to read. Oh, and that brings up the third one. I kind of forgot the paraphrase. Yes. Oh, mm. The paraphrase oh, versions. Yeah. So. Okay. Anyway. I don't yeah. like those. I don't like those. We'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys need to realize that the book you base your entire life on and where it came from, it was not an English book, right? It was Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So like you said, the translating from Greek to English, from Hebrew to English to Aramaic to English, there are words that the English language just doesn't have, which I have I have a list as kind of a, an example that we can go through. But so looking at it, I want to bring something up that not many, not very many people know. So within the last 20 years, they, there have been 100 new Bible translations released. So what does that do? It makes people question the sufficiency of the scripture. Also, copyright laws. Here in America, we have a copyright law for the Bible. Translations have to be 10% different from anything else already out there. So... All the Bibles out today are 10% different from each other, which is kind of scary. And it gets you thinking, well, okay, what does that mean? What are they changing? (laughs) Exactly. So the only non-copy written that has public domain translation that there are no copyright laws on is the King James Bible. From 1611 to now, it is the same. When it was translated from the Latin Vulgate into English, there are no copyright laws. So therefore, it is the same translation as it was 1611. It's old English, and yes, it is kind of it's kind of hard to read and understand, but it's one of the most accurate as of right now because of the the copyright laws. Accuracy used to take precedent over literary style, but now we elevate the reader above the author and caters to the experience of the reader instead of the authenticity of the text. So, you again, like you said you have two types of translations. One thought for thought, two word for word. Thought for thought, it is known as dynamic equivalent translation. In in my mind, it's very dangerous because there is a lot of interpretation of the Bible. Most modern Bibles are thought for thought. So that's like your NLT, your NIV, the message, the passion translation. Which also can be considered a paraphrase. The Bible didn't talk about, yo, when you're in your car, don't, you know, whatever. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't exactly. use modern day language. Exactly. Um, and a lot of these verses, or a lot of these versions, do. And, and to me, you, you lose you lose its authority. Yeah, well, it's authentic- in a lot of this. authenticity. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. So it, the second one, word for word, essentially literal or functionally equivalent, is your word for word translation. It is not worried about sounding beautiful or elegant. So I, if you guys ever read uh, the the New King James, the King James, or like ESV. Those are word-for-word translations. As you're reading it, you'll realize some of it sounds backwards. If you guys are Star Wars fans, Yoda, he talks in a backwards manner. That is kind of how these are written out. There's a reason for that. Hebrew. Hebrew, when you write it, is written from right to left, whereas English is written left to right. So in the translations, things kind of sound a little bit backwards which in my mind is a very good thing because that means they are literally translating word for word. So essentially literal, you cannot always take a Greek word and turn it into an English word. It is, it is n- not perfectly literal. It is essentially literal. 
As true believers, we need to be digging into word-for-word translations. Uh, A couple, your ESV, New King James, King James, your NASB, and and there are more. Um, But for like an example, I want to look at, it's known as the Passion Translation. This is very dangerous. Um, I I don't call it a Bible. It's not a Bible. Real quick, I just want to know from all three of us, what versions do you typically use when you're studying? ESV. ESV? I use ESV, King James, New King James, and the Geneva Bible, which we can talk about later. I kind of go back and forth with like three or four of them. Yeah. I use English Standard. I use New American Standard. I've really grown to enjoy and like the Holman Christian Standard. It is relatively new, maybe in the last 10 or 15 years. It came out. So I've really enjoyed that one. And then I do like the new King James. I struggle a little bit with the King James, not for accuracy purposes, just my mind. It's old English. I I don't like reading it that way. It's just my mind doesn't function as well. Well, Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I used to use NIV up until like a little bit sometime last year because I got a new Bible and it was ESV. I was like, I like this one a lot better. Yeah. So versions I avoid, actively avoid, are NIV, Message, NLT, Passion. Passion. Yeah. I hate the message so, so I should much. get you all those for your birthday? Um, I mean, you can. Well, and okay. So there, there is a good, there are good aspects on having those. I agree. And uh, for studying purposes, you're able to look at ESV, New King James, the Passion, the Message, and you can see where they differ. So like the Passion right now, I, I'm going to go through a couple of passages throughout Scripture that the passion has added words or taken away words. Kind of scary. So, first one, the Passion Translation. This is a quote by a theologian in the UK from several years ago. I don't have his name. I do apologize. Um, Again, if I'm, I'm getting a lot of this stuff from the Dale Partridge video, I referenced earlier. So if you guys want to look that up, very, very informative on this stuff. The Passion Translation, it inserts all kinds of words, thoughts, and ideas that the original scripts, as in the Hebrew and the Greek, has absolutely no hint of whatsoever. So first example, Galatians 2.19. In Greek, it is honotheos seso, which means that I might live for God. And that is from the original manuscript in Greek. The Passion Translation says, so that I can live for God and heaven's freedom. Okay. First glance, you look at it, it's like, okay, not not big difference there. Well, there's nothing in the Greek in that statement or the rest of the chapter that indicates that either heaven or its freedom are in view. It's adding words. It's adding words that are not in there. For those of you that don't know, Revelations 22, 18 through 19, passage in scripture where it references those who put in to scripture or take away there are really bad things coming for you. That That is one thing that you do not do, so you need to be aware of that. And there are a few more. Uh, NIV. I want to look at NIV really quick. The NIV is actually 6,400 words shorter than the King James Version. That is exactly 10% of the text that is different. And so the NIV actually has scripture that's missing. I'm going to go through a list really quick, just a few. You guys can check it if you want. Scripture that's missing out of the NIV is Acts 8.37. It's weird because it goes Acts 8.36, skips 37, and goes to 38. Why? I don't know. Next, you have Matthew chapter 17.21, Matthew 18.11, 
Matthew 21, 44. And a really important one, in case you guys want to go look up this one, 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. It's not in the NIV. Look it up. I want you to read that. That's an important one. I won't get into it much, but it's very important to know what translation you're reading and if you can believe it or not. It's very important. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I guess our listeners probably didn't realize this, but we're going to give you homework. Oh. So I will put those Bible verses in our description for this episode. That way you guys can look it up because it is very important, like he said, to understand what you're reading, how it was translated, what the theory behind this version is. Because again, it gets a little dicey. It does. And so a reference, everything I, I, I was looking at, I... I researched, but I was able to get from, again, Dale Partridge. It's Real Christianity. You can look it up on YouTube in case you guys want to look it up. We'll put it in our, our references for later. Yeah, just real quick, I was going to say, like, when I was, like, definitely within my first year of being a Christian, when I was using the NIV, I was reading it. And I was, like, with so- also reading with someone that had a different translation we were reading. And then just, like, in mine, just skipped a few verses. And I was like, well, what? why is that gone? And they were just like, nah, it doesn't matter. They probably didn't need it. I was like... And I was just too, <laughs> I was too young in my walk to like really form my own opinions. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> and they're like, no, it, it should be. It's it's okay. They don't, I guess if it's not there, it wasn't necessary. Oh, goodness. <laughs> have mercy. Like, mm. So now that we have kind of a understanding of the inerrancy, the authority, the necessity, the sufficiency of scripture, the different translations, what to look for when you're looking at studying scripture, what translations maybe to use, what to avoid, not that they don't have some value, but... Be careful getting your core doctrines, your core beliefs from these word for, or sorry, these thought for thought translations, these in, your NIV, your NLT, your message, passion. I the passion a, is not a Bible. The passion is not, not a Bible. It's it's a book. It's a feel-good book. Yeah. So I would actually argue the message isn't a Bible. Different topic. I hate the message. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Hate's a strong word. Oh, but it fits it so fits. well right there. So now that we have that foundation, though, let's talk about how to study scripture. Um, I want to start with one of my favorite favorite phrases context is key mm. so when you're studying scripture context is key so it's really important not to just pick out one verse out of scripture out of a passage out of a paragraph out of an uh, out of a story and then make it mean something it's not because you're going to miss out on what the author was trying to say and it can be used to fit like almost any scenario that you would want it to absolutely yeah. Absolutely. How many times have you experienced this either in your personal life or watching the news, watching media or anything where you you listen to a talk, you listen to a sermon, or you have a conversation with somebody and then you hear the summary of it later and you're like, that's not what he said. That's not what I said. I, I mean, yeah, I said that little phrase, but it was in the greater context of the entire conversation and, and it's lost its meaning and it means something different. That is what happens so often in scripture. So how do we avoid that? Well, first, it's, you need to remember chapters and verses were not in the original manuscripts. These were written as letters. These were written as uh, as a narrative. These were written as prophecy. These were written as different as songs of worship, written as directives, but they were written all as one unit, one cohesive unit. Especially you look at Paul and you look at his letters to the Thessalonians, the, the Corinthians. His first letter to the Thessalonians, that that was one letter. That wasn't 15 chapters or whatever, how many chapters are in Thessalonians, but like, not 15, I don't not think. Not 15, but yeah. It was one letter. Yeah. And so we need to remember that when we go into scripture. Very basic understanding. Just remember, those breaks are not in the original manuscripts. They weren't there. When I read 
I think it was Ephesians. Um, I read it like all the way through, like the first time I read it, because I was like, whenever it stopped to like chapter two to three or three to four or something, I was like, that doesn't even make sense. Why would it end right there? It was like halfway or like a verse ended halfway through a sentence. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I'll just keep reading the whole thing then. And then I read the next chapter and I was like, that felt better to read it all one sitting. And so another key in this is you, you see a lot of verses, chapters, paragraphs, whatever, start with the word therefore, or you start, it starts with the word because of this, or it starts with, but that means that everything before that needs to be read in order to understand what's coming next, because it is an addition to what was just being said. So when you are studying scripture, remember that it is so important to read before and after a verse, especially a verse that maybe you don't understand. Or maybe a verse that is so common, you see it everywhere, and you're like, I wonder if that means something different than what everyone tells me it means. Read what's before it, read what's after it. Which we will get more into next week. Not next week. Thursday. Next episode. Yeah. It's, I keep saying next week. It's not next week. <laughs> so that, that is my thing. So it just for me personally, like when I'm in, when I'm in church and I'm listening to a sermon and something, I'm very unfortunately keen to this or aware of this, something kind of hits me the wrong way, I'll go back and I'll look at what that passage is talking about, what what that verse that he is using for this point. I do that too. And I'm yeah. like, that's not it. And I have to stop myself from being like, dude, that Are is not doing? what that verse means. <laughs> we're not calling anybody out, by the way. No, we're really not. We're it, not. Because it, ha- it happens. Look, I, I'm sure I've done it and ha- and will do it again. Um, but it, it just be aware. Well, uh, so, so an example of one, um, I was at a wedding and... The guy who was leading the wedding used a passage out of Ruth. I don't know if... Do you have any idea which one I'm thinking of? I don't, So, it's when Ruth is talking to Naomi, saying, basically, your God is my God. I will go where you go. And he was using it as, you know, the wife for the the man and the man for the wife. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, that's not for a man and wife. (laughs) That's not for a man and wife. There's there's a younger woman talking to an older woman. What are you doing? And it's like... For, for for that context, I mean, I, it worked. You take it out of context, you use it for that, it worked. But yeah, in my mind, I'm like, what are you doing? Blood pressure's going Blood up. Blood pressure's going Face up. Face getting a little red. Just a little red. Might be sweating a little bit. It, it was pretty hot. It was like July or something. Yeah. Or whatever. Anyway, probably, carry on. Probably some psychopath in an outdoor wedding, too, in July. It was in a barn. So and we basically, had fans, so it was actually pretty... It, was, it wasn't too bad. Okay, that's bad. fair. Anyway, moving on. So, context. Context, context, context. Always ask yourself, what is context? Also, scripture interprets scripture, okay? So, when you are reading, let's say, Romans, and you come across this word maybe you don't understand, or this phrase you don't understand, and you're kind of like, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, let's see how he uses that phrase in other passages, in other letters. Does he use that phrase in Corinthians? Okay, if he does, let's read that. Figure out what he is trying to say. Because script. He is going to be consistent in his language, in, in what he writes. And, and so are the authors of Scripture. So, Scripture interprets itself. So, oh, that was... I wish Sorry. I could do that. Oh, For those who couldn't see what Austin just did, he just, like, did this violent jerk of his neck and just cracked it, like, seven times. I got about, like, seven or eight. Oh, man. Oh, that is... That was kind of nice. Awesome. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to regret it here in the next 20 years. But it's okay. That's fine. Just live for now, man. <laughs> that is so... So <laughs> what are we here talking about? Oh, again? wait, wait. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, so that is again something to keep in mind that that scripture interprets itself. And so when you again, when you run across something you don't get, see how it's used elsewhere. This does apply a lot more for 
original language for original Greek words. So one of the words I think of is doulos, how it is translated as servant most of the time, or sometimes bond servant in our bond English uh, English Bibles. But when you look at the original Greek where Paul was writing the word doulos, that word was exclusively slave. Hmm. Exclusively. He used other Greek words for servant or bond servant. He used doulos specifically for slave. So that's just important to understand because sometimes they will kind of translate it to make it a little less harsh for us English speaking folk. Slave. I actually have doulos tattooed on my wrist to remind myself that I am not just a servant of Christ. I am a slave to Christ. So with regards to scripture interpreting scripture, let's kind of dive into the fact that scripture can sometimes be a little confusing, be a little hard to understand. There are things in there that we will never understand. We we talked about that a, a few minutes ago. So what do we do with that? It can definitely be really confusing at times, like how we said, Revelation. A commonly used excuse for not reading the Bible or not wanting to read it is people are just like, well, I was super confused by that and I don't, I just didn't want to keep going. I was discouraged by that. I didn't understand it. I just read a whole chapter and I don't know what I just read. And they're just like, it's confusing at times. It really can be. But it is written for us ordinary believers too, like not just the 4.0, 5.0 GPA scholars. Anyone can understand it. And even like, it's not like I've definitely been discouraged by being confused by it. Like I've tried to read Revelation multiple times and then just like gotten halfway through it. And then I'm just like, this is super hard. And then I would just like fall off reading it. But even the disciples at times were confused by it. Luke 24, 25 says, and he said to them, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Even his disciples at times failed to understand it. And New Testament authors do say it is written in clarity, but it will not be understood rightly by those unwilling to receive its teachings. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play that we kind of talked about earlier, where, yes, I I believe all humans have a general idea of God, because we're all trying, we all worship something. We're all trying to fill that void, but it is... We were all made in his image. Exactly. So we have that aspect of it. And so we all desire to worship. We all desire God in some level. We just don't always, you know, follow through with that desire in a proper way. But the Bible, you need the Holy Spirit to understand it. Understand parts of it, at least, right? Yeah. Well, and yeah, definitely. So looking at it from understanding, the understanding aspect of it, it it comes into two sections. You have the understanding that comes from the Spirit for believers as Christians, and then the understanding that comes from the unbeliever, which is from a worldly standpoint, which is history, literature, and a lot of unbelievers, they look at it, oh, it's just a book of fairy tales. I've heard, I've heard, oh, a, yeah. I've heard a lot of people say that. Well, as you were saying earlier, the Bible has everything we need to know about our salvation, how to get into the kingdom, how to grow as a Christian, our Christian walk. And last thing I'm going to say, I do have a quote by a guy named Mark D. Thompson. This could be deep. So make sure you're ready. It could go over your head. <sighs> Scripture is understandable. That's it. And it is. Boom. Well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, the New Testament. It is. Kona yeah. in Greek, you know, for the common people is written for the common people to to be able to read it. Mm. And, and actually so I want I want to dive into it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 16. I'm going to read it, and then we can look over just for a second. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is inside him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So looking at it, as you are reading scripture as a believer— like you said, Carter, you get to a point and you're like, man, I have no idea what's going on. I've been there. I know Brad's been there. I've talked to a lot of very mature Christians that have been walking in their faith for a long time, studying the scripture, and they say the same thing. At some point in time, they don't understand. The Spirit will give you the understanding of what He wants you to understand at that point in time. Because there are things that He may not want you to dive into just yet. Because there, even now, there are things that are way above my head. And again, I love grappling with it, because then it makes my head hurt. And I'm like, okay, God, uh, well, my head hurts, I'm done. Okay, I'm, I'm stepping away from that one. But when you get into true understanding, as an unbeliever, you're reading through Scripture, there is a lot of knowledge. There is a lot of applicable things for your life. There are historical things, literature. It, it's it's an immense book, and there's a lot of really good things in there. But the true understanding coming from the Spirit, again, comes from God. So something... Yeah, absolutely. So let, let's kind of move towards, as, as we get close to wrapping up here, let's move towards some tools. What are some things that you use or have used uh, in the past, maybe even specific books, specific commentaries, that you use to help you understand Scripture. I, I do believe it is important to have different people's perspectives, different people's uh, thoughts and interpretations of Scripture. I know I use uh, John MacArthur. I use his commentary pretty frequently. Um, I use different books on theology. Um, I like some of John Piper's stuff, a little bit of Wayne Grudem. There are some really great resources out there. Again, it doesn't take the place of Scripture. It doesn't take the place of the Bible. But get yourself a good commentary. Get yourself a good verse-by-verse exegetical, which means verse-by-verse, breakdown of Scripture. Get a interlinear Bible. Start digging into other languages. Start digging into the Hebrew and the Greek. Understand, broaden your horizons, and and really make this a passion. Because I promise you, once you get into it, man, it is is a lot of fun. Well, and something important, too, to look at is, again, reinforcing the sufficiency of Scripture. If you're studying... Again, yeah, you're looking at, you're trying to get deeper, you're looking at the Greek, you're looking at the, the Hebrew words. It, it is a tool. Use it as a tool. But remember, the sufficiency of Scripture, Scripture is enough. So as you're reading it, God will give you the understanding that you need. But again, it is very good to dive deep. Don't forget to obey. If He is telling you to do something, you do it. Do not get so caught up in your studying that you forget to obey. And an analogy that I have heard, I forgot where I heard it from, but like whenever I would get super discouraged because I wasn't learning anything from reading or I didn't feel like I was learning at the time, it's think of it like a strainer. Like when you put something through a strainer, there's like, it's different. It Like the water went through it, but like there's still a coating of it on the inside of the strainer, meaning that some of the information might, or not all the information went through to you, but there is, it's different than it was before. 
So like there is still some residue. You are soaking something in and you are like learning stuff and it's small at first and you might not see it, but eventually that will pile up. None will fall through. And that's why Paul uses the analogy of a baby and uses the analogy of immature Christians with milk. And then as you grow, you should be getting into the meatier words and the meatier meeting and the meatier topics. The steak and potatoes. The steak and potatoes of the Bible. From Longhorn. From Longhorn. <laughs> Are yeah. we hungry? Is that what is that, what that uh, problem? I'm, I'm, I'm a little we hungry. We just ate. But, but not a lot, though. That's true. Oh, <laughs> well, we did. Brad <laughs> just got like four nuggets. That's <laughs> true. <coughs> awesome. Sorry, um, yeah, I couldn't get a third sandwich. That's okay. So really cool. Like, I, I want to I dive into something. You know, we're talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. We're talking about the studying of Scripture. Really quick. I want to hint on, which I would love for us to get into deeper, and we will at some point, but what all is Scripture used for? Once you've studied, once you're obeying, what can it be used for? So I want a real quick look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. Headline, it's all Scripture is breathed out by God. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch at, oh goodness, what is that word? Isenium? I-C-O-N-I-U-M. It's in the Bible. I didn't write this one down. <laughs> no, no, this is from scripture. Okay. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch at... <laughs> I thought you were laughing at me. I started laughing at myself. What? It, okay. <laughs> I C O N I U M. Ichthus. Is it a C or it a ick? Show me it. Spell it one more time. I C O N I U M. Iconium. 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 Smithsonian. Iconium. Pronunciation. Quit it. I'm, Iconium. Iconium? Icon. Okay. <clears throat> Restart. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So, Scripture, once you are able to dive into it, once you're able to understand it from the Spirit, and you're you're studying it, you're digging deeper, Scripture can be used for a lot of different things. Teaching, reproof, correction, training. There is so much that it can be used for. And again, that's something we will dive deeper into. I just wanted to kind of hint on it. So, we hope today's discussion will inspire you and encourage you to think about how you study scripture. Think about what you are learning. Think about what it's intended for. And just remember, context is key. So it is so important to make sure you are accurately understanding what God is telling us in his word, because it is dangerous otherwise. 
and and prayer. It is very important before you open scripture, before you start reading, you need to be praying, Lord God, give me your understanding. Do not allow me to rest upon my own understanding. That is so important. And to do your research on the translation you're using, because not every translation is a Bible. Yeah. (laughs) That's exactly right. Well, we are, again, so grateful for you all listening to the three of us ramble. We are very excited about what God is doing in this. We're very excited about where this is going. We have a couple of things in the works that we were going to hopefully announce next week. So kind of be listening for that and just ways you can support us and and ways you can be involved. So we're hoping to get that going in the next week or so. Until then, continue to be rooted in the word, to be rooted in Logos, and we will see you guys on Thursday. Thank you for listening to our show. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever else you listen. Also, please help us out by leaving a five-star review. If you want to connect with us or suggest a topic, email us at rootedinlogospod at gmail.com. Logos, L-O-G-O-S, pod at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rootedinlogospod.